Thursday, September 22nd. It is officially fall, and you're listening to the Just Baseball Show. That's Aram. I'm Peter. We have an awesome interview with Nick Sandlin, a reliever for the Guardians, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, Aram, the Mets and Braves are in a heated playoff, I guess, chase right it's now. It's a chase division, to win the division, division title chase, yeah. I guess. The Mets are ninety. The Mets have ninety-five wins. The Braves have ninety-three wins, but they are only a game apart in the division. So first, we're going to go over who who's going to win this thing, Aram. Who's going to win this thing? I have the Mets schedule. You have the Braves schedule. It's going to be a fight till the end, and I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Yeah. So I've I've said Braves just because I'm sticking to my guns, but honestly, as we talk this out, we'll probably come to what is the more likely scenario. And then the opposite will happen, obviously, but it it is really, it comes down to the schedule here. I think, you know, there's, there's a really fascinating breakdown here with what, who both teams face. And I'm excited to kind of get into that with you, but this is a hundred percent this year's NL West showdown that we had between the, the Dodgers and the giants. And this is important because the seating with this new playoff structure, if you want to avoid the Dodgers, as long as you can, uh, you want to have the easiest path winning the division significantly helps that. Uh, if you are trying to have a smoother path to the championship series here and, and eventually the world series. So we're going to see both teams push really, really hard to avoid that three game wild card set. I have the Mets schedule in front of me. Arm has the brave schedule in front of me. Let's try and predict wins. Let's see what a final record at least looks like in our eyes to see if the Braves actually have a chance to catch the Mets. So the Mets schedule remaining in September so today, we're as we're recording on Wednesday, September 21st, they play the Brewers in the last game of a set, which they've already won two games. Let's let's just quickly see. I'm going to pull up on my phone who's the starting pitcher to see who we think might win this game. So this game is we're recording in the morning because we just finished our interview with Nick Sandlin. It's Taiwan Walker versus Adrian Hauser. And Taiwan Walker has not had a good second half. And the Mets have already won two of the games i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna say the brewers win whether it happens or not like this is you know this is certainly not gambling advice because i will not be betting on this because i could totally see the mets just sweeping the brewers but let's say the brewers grab this one so that's zero and one then they have three games against the a's um they probably sweep like i mean they are going to the west coast on a road trip but they get a day off before let's say the a's are sneaky let's say they win two of three do you think that's fair or should we give them all three? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to take care of business. <laughs> yeah. So you think, give, should we give them all three? I think we give them all three. Okay. So they're three and one currently. Then they have two games at home against the Marlins. I'll leave that one to you. I mean, I think they take <laughs> care of business. I, let's let's give them one loss in that in that stretch of five games, let's say. I think that's fair. So right now they would be... 
four and two right now. And then they play the Braves. So they play the Braves for a three-game series and then three games against the Nationals to end it. I'm also going to say that they sweep the Nationals. So really, I think that there's a strong possibility that they go seven and two, which is going to be really hard for the Braves to catch up to them. But the Braves do have that three-game series. So let's say right now, you know what, is six and three fair? Or should we go with seven and two? Like that, they may. I think not, they go seven they, and two with that they schedule. Could just, yeah, they could just actually go nine and zero. Oh. Yeah, I, I think seven. I think they go seven and two with that schedule. Perfect. And here's the challenge: is you go to what we're looking at with the Braves is they've got a four game set right away as we start you know, as we're recording this. They're going to start a, a four game set with the Phillies, and the Phillies they're in a good spot, but. The Brewers are still breathing down their neck about two and a half, three games out of the wild card. And the Phillies are, are going to be trying to fight for their life here to, to solidify that playoff spot. That's not going to be an easy four games in Philly. You know, it's going to be electric out there. The Philadelphia fans can sense the playoffs and uh, they're going to have to face both Nola and potentially, I at least know they'll just get Nola and Suarez in this one. So out of those four games, that's going to be tough. I, I could easily see the Phillies splitting that, but let's say they get what? Let's say that the Braves get three out of four there. Like we're going to be very generous with the wins here because I think both teams are really freaking good. I also think that they get three or four and I don't even think that's being generous. If you ask Mets fans, how have the Phillies played the Braves when it's been, you know, up and coming like this to the end of the season, they would say the Phillies are the Braves best friends yeah. that they just allow them to win regardless. So I'm going to give them three or four. And I wouldn't be shocked if they won all four games, because that's just how the season has unfolded that when the Braves play the Phillies Mets fans are in turmoil. Yep. I, that, that I have seen. And they also get mad at the Marlins for just like literally handing out free wins. Um, the Washington they get Nationals, to face the Marlins. So win both of those. Yeah, games. exactly. They both actually need to pummel the, the Nationals and the Marlins. They get three at Washington and then they've got the three at home against the Mets. And then they finish up the season with three in Miami. I, again, think they win five out of the six of those, you know, Washington slash Miami games. It really all comes down to this Mets Brave series. That's September 20th or excuse me, September 30th and is a three game set. I really think that series is going to define the division. Man, we're in New York and it's going to be played in Atlanta. I wish that was at City Field. So, but that is going to be the most electric series of the year, I think. Oh, Braves fans have been unbelievable this season. I mean, that the Truist Park has been rocking. They've done a great job of supporting the team. And uh, that is an awesome stadium and, and area. It's going to be really fun, really intense. That you always talk, you always hear the, the playoff atmosphere. I'll bet my life that's a playoff atmosphere. That's going to feel like maybe even the NLCS in some ways with how just important that series is and how intense it's going to be. I'm interested to see how the the Mets plan to use their rotation and stagger their rotation. As it stands now, DeGrom, and, and a lot can change, DeGrom would be slated to face Charlie Morton on Saturday. Yeah. And that's must-see that- TV. Must see TV. So you know, let's go through the starting pitching matchup. So in game one, it's Chris Bassett versus Kyle Wright. About as even as it gets. Yep. Like that's going to be electric. Then you have Jacob deGrom facing off against Charlie Morton. I would assume the Mets get, I'm going to give the Braves game one and I'm going to give the Mets game two with deGrom against Morton. 
So game three to tie the division, currently undecided. Are we on ESPN? Maybe on ESPN. Maybe it's going to be Scherzer. Is it going to be Cookie Carrasco? They should not be throwing Tywin Walker in the spot. And then for the Braves, do we get Strider? Do we get Freed? What if it's Freed Scherzer to possibly win the division? That's going to be the greatest game of the year. It it would be the best game of the year, and it will also be a really cool opportunity for baseball to to really showcase and get people excited for the postseason on national television, which I would love to see the ratings on that one. So really excited for that, and uh, we'll be talking about that series plenty next week as well. So how do you feel? Who do you think is going to win the division? Because I – I will go with the Mets still winning this division. Their schedule remaining is so incredibly easy. And then if you have DeGrom and Scherzer in a three-game series, more than likely you're going to win that series. And they already have the game up. They're two games above in the win column. I do think that the Mets are going to end up winning this division. Yeah, it looks really good for the Mets. It looks really good. But I'm sticking with the Braves all the way through. But obviously, it it, it looks really good for the Mets. But – you never know. And uh, the Marlins have a chance to also play spoiler here against the Braves, which I know they they will be happy to do in those final three games of the season. And if Sandy Alcantara makes one of those starts, you, know, you could easily steal one of those games. So it should be a really fun showdown. And that will be baseball's best showdown as we wind down this season and get ready for the postseason. Now it's time to hear from Nick Sandlin, a right-handed reliever for the Cleveland Guardians, currently working with a 2-2-0 ERA strikeout stuff, sidewinder, awesome interview. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. We welcome Nick Sandlin, relief pitcher from the Cleveland Guardian to the Just Baseball Show, having another great year after a great rookie season last year for one of baseball's best bullpens. Nick, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. So I want to start with something that I noticed really recently that was super cool because I don't think people realize how good Southern Miss is. And I want to start with with that, with your college experience there. And recently, you had an opportunity to, of course, one of your teammates in Cleveland is a guy that played with you at Southern Miss in Kirk McCarty, but also Matt Walner of the Minnesota Twins recently promoted uh, to the big leagues. And all three of you got a picture the other day, which is pretty freaking cool. I wanted to just lead with that and and just ask you how awesome it is to see some of your college teammates make their way up to the big leagues with you and, and have that opportunity to cross paths. Yeah, that was a really cool experience. Um, you know, Kirk being up here, you know, a lot this year and it's been fun to, you know, see him get to this level and have success and, you know, different roles. He's been asked to do a lot of different things and done them all well. And then, uh, you know, the other last weekend with, with Walner getting his, to make his debut, you know, against us was just a cool experience. You know, glad to see that, you know, I could be there just to, you know, see his debut and, uh, hopefully be competing against him for uh, a long time. So Nick, you were crazy elite at Southern Miss and you've been fantastic now in the bigs on the mound, but in high school, you hit 337 your junior and you hit 358. You were an awesome hitter out there in Evans, Georgia. Did you ever have two-way aspirations, maybe like Shohei Otani? <laughs> I see Otani picture back there. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course we have aspirations, but no, I wasn't an incredible hitter by any means. I just probably your average high school hitter, I guess. That ain't that ain't too average to me when you're <laughs> at 360. You're just being humble, my friend. <laughs> 
no, I, you know, I wish you could, you could still swing it sometimes, but you know, you gotta do what you're end up being good at, I guess. Yeah. With pitchers, not, not hitting anymore. I know you're in the American league, but you know, also being a reliever as well. When's the last time you've, you've picked up a baseball bat? Oh, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe a few years ago, I guess. It's mostly just picking up a golf club now compared to a, a baseball bat. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, because that, you, um, yeah, you're from you're from Evans, Georgia, so that's right near Augusta. Have you have you been yeah. to the Masters a ton? Uh, not a ton. I didn't really like follow golf very closely. Like growing up, kind of got into it late, and then I went to the uh, tournament in high school, which is just you know pretty pretty awesome experience. And then ever since then, like college and everything, it's you know during baseball season. So I haven't really been able to go in the last six or seven years. We're going to talk a lot about your journey to, you know, of course, through professional baseball, getting to the Guardians, your success in the early parts of your big league career. But I, I want to start with Southern Miss again, because you had a really awesome collegiate career there that finished with as good of a season as you could ever have. And another thing that I want to talk about is how good you guys were while you were there. And we talk about the talent that you had. But I love the arc and the story there through your collegiate career where you start as a closer and right away were one of the nation's best closers you do that for for three years and then your final season you get moved to the rotation where you win the ncaa title for era at 1.06 i'm just gonna walk through the stats real quick and then tee up but <laughs> i mean 102 and a thirds innings 144 strikeouts 14 walks a 1.06 era and a 10 and 0 record for pretty much the entire season a top 25 team and better than that uh in all of division one Starting just with the first part of this question, how difficult, obviously not too difficult statistically, how difficult was the adjustment from bullpen to starter? And how did that kind of come about after, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You're dominating as a closer, but obviously it ended up working in your team and your favor. Yeah, that was definitely a, a fun year. It was just kind of like on one of those roles, what seemed like for, you know, the duration of the season. But um, for me, that transition, like to to be a starter that year was maybe a little easier than going to the bullpen. Um, I think I was just kind of comfortable being a starter and wasn't too far removed from it from high school, I guess. And then, um, yeah, it, it kind of happened last minute. Like uh, we had a couple starters going the draft the year before. And then, you know, like in the preseason scrimmages and stuff, I'd throw them like three innings. And then I kind of was like pushing the coaches the whole season to do it. And then, kind of like kept pushing them there at the end. I was like, let me throw four innings next week. Let me throw five. And then after they let me do that, I guess I, I, I was doing good enough that let them talk me into, uh, no, talk them into giving me the chance to start. And uh, yeah, that was definitely fun. But, you know, like you said, yeah, Southern Miss is a really good program and, you know, pretty much as good as it gets for mid-majors out there. And they had another good season this year and I was, you know, lucky to be a part of uh, some good teams there. Where did the confidence come from task? Because Southern Miss is such a good program and and you went from a reliever to a starter. Like, when did you feel, you know what? I want four innings. I want five innings. Yeah. Well, I mean, as much as you can be out there, you know, the better to me, that's, you know, I just wanted the ball, you know, as much as I could, but, you know, I think maybe before that year, um, just going to pitch like, you know, in the Cape Cod league that summer and, you know, consistently just trying to get more, you know, in the zone and, you know, attack hitters and, uh, you know, facing some of the best hitters in the country, I think gave me some confidence going into that, into that season uh, to just, you know, kind of trust my stuff and know that, you know, you can get, you know, whoever's out, whoever's in the box, you can get them out. 
I always love asking guys who who went through the Cape Cod League kind of what that experience was for them. And I was lucky enough to be out there in 19 uh, as the broadcaster for Katuit. And uh, I know you were in Hyannis, which is another awesome spot. And uh, you, you talk about just being out there and facing basically an all-star team every single day. Uh, kind of piggybacking off of Peter's question there, w- was that that defining moment to a degree. I mean, you already were one of the best closers in the nation, but once you can do it at that level against just continuously the best guys, was that that moment where it clicked and it's like, Hey, I can be not only one of the best pitchers in the country, but you know, a potential big leaguer. Uh, yeah, I think in a way, um, just kind of helps you see all the, all the talent out there, you know, and then see kind of where you line up against some of the best guys. So, yeah, I mean, in college, you're going to run into good players, of course, and, you know, you're going to play good competition, but uh, yeah, there's deeper lineups there. And, you know, you face, like I said, you know, just, you know, the best hitters, you know, around. So kind of, kind of see where you stand in a way. And yeah, I think that that helped me going into my junior year. And that massive 2018 season was awesome. And it helped you fly up the draft board and you were selected in the second round, 67th overall that year by the guardians. Did you have any idea how high you would be selected after such a big year? I'm, I'm just curious through the draft process. Um, I think not until the last minute. I think maybe the, maybe like the night before I had heard that, you know, might be able to, there's some teams who uh, were interested in maybe taking me like at the end of day one like that. And, you know, I was, I was definitely excited about that. You know, I was just excited to, you know, get the foot in the door and, you know, start playing pro ball and then, having that good year kind of as the year went on, you know, every, every couple of weeks, it was like, yeah, you know, you might go a little higher, a little higher. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun process. Do you have a fun uh, draft party story? Because you watch on, um, and I've said this, we, we interviewed a couple guys and, you know, Derek Jeter, that documentary just came out where he's sitting in his room with his parents and yeah. he can't watch it on TV. He's just getting a phone call. And it's like, <laughs> you're drafted six, the Yankees. And then now you see some draft parties where they're wearing $10,000 suits and they look like princes. <laughs> Nothing like that. No. Did you, did you, do you have a funny draft story? Was there anyone there? Um, no, it was just a couple of my roommates and, uh, my girlfriend, we were just watching it on TV back in Hattiesburg. Uh, the day before, we had gotten eliminated from the regional at Arkansas. So that day, the draft day was actually, like, pretty brutal. We had, like, to be at the airport at, I don't know, 5 a.m. And there was, like, we all got split up on, like, five different flights and delayed all all day. And then we just kind of, like, rolled into Hattiesburg late and the draft was on. And it kind of just happened pretty quickly after that. Just sitting around some buff, buff chick tip. Just chilling. <laughs> yeah, just chilling. <laughs> I mean, at least that's a silver lining out of out of a uh, you know a busy day there. And uh, y- you end up going to the Guardians, and that's an organization that you know we know just does such a good job of developing pitching. You're an example, and I could list out a dozen examples uh, in recent memory and that are currently on the roster. Uh, did you have any idea? whether you were going to be used as a starter or reliever uh, and, and did you have any preference there? Obviously if you're a reliever college guy with success, you're going to be fast tracked to the big leagues, which is pretty much what happened with you. But did you still have any of that desire to, to be a starter at, at all? And and how did that kind of unfold for you as you began your professional career? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the desire might've been there a little bit to keep starting and give it a chance, but you know, um, ultimately I was, you know, grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to 
be chosen to like be a reliever and move up kind of fast through the system. So I think that, um, you know, I was, I was happy to do that and, you know, get the chance to hopefully make it to the big leagues quickly. And they gave me that opportunity. And can you speak to the the development that the guardians are able to do is, is, is there something that you've seen just going through the system now being another success story as a, as a pitcher who's quickly climbed through the minors and, you know, has had success at the big league level, the guardians seem to know what they're doing in that regard when it comes to scouting and, and development and, and through your firsthand experience, what do you think makes the guardians so good at what they do in the pitching department? Yeah, they do a terrific job. And, um, yeah, I think it starts with what you said with scouting. I mean, I think they, you know, evaluate um, a lot of good pitchers and, you know, uh, acquire a lot of good pitchers who have had success where they've been before. Um, a lot of guys at the college level have had success and then just continue to, you know, develop, develop the pitches, develop, you know, getting stronger. And and then, uh, yeah, some guys have, uh, have uh, it's worked out for, for a lot of us, for sure. They have to have some crazy stats back there. Like we're looking at XFIP or XERA yeah. and they probably got four X's in front of a bunch of letters and they're giving you stats that we've never heard of. They're probably telling you spin rates that we've never even seen. Like, is there anything that maybe, you know, you don't want to give up the special sauce. I mean, if you do, I'm here for it. If you do, I'm here for it. But is there just like anything specific that maybe you learned in Cleveland that you had never heard before in any other spot that you've been? Well, it's the only spot I've been in pro ball, but, so yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of stuff that I didn't know was out there before. And uh, yeah, it's some stuff that you mentioned, there's plenty of stats and plenty of numbers to quantify, like, you know, what we actually do out there on the mound, but you know, more than anything, I think they do a good job of like giving you the information and letting it like work to your advantage instead of overloading you with stuff or trying to do too much. Um, just kind of figuring out what you do well and going from there. Well, something you do well is is spin that slider uh, and also from a pretty difficult release point there. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it before we record. Peter was takes a lot of pride in his you know sidearm submarine pitching in high school. And it, it's, it's a rarity. It's something that's very hard to do. And the guys that do it really well, though, do it really well. And you're one of them. You know, how did you start throwing that way? And then I'd love to hear about the development of your slider, which has become just a, a phenomenal pitch at the highest level. Uh, yeah, it started in high school. We uh, My sophomore year, I just played like infield and we had a submarine pitcher that was a senior who graduated. And I guess I was kind of tasked with replacing him in a way. And uh, yeah, our pitching coach there, Coach Turner, did me a huge favor and dropped me down to start throwing sidearm. And uh, I just kind of worked on that all summer, like in off season leading up into junior year. And uh, I don't know, I guess it was kind of like natural for me to throw the ball and spin the ball out of that spot. And I just kind of worked on that slider a lot and kind of always kept it the same. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely grateful that he had that idea and uh, yeah, it's been good. It's a lot of fun. So I have two questions kind of back to back. The first one is simple. How do you throw 95? How is that even possible? I mean, you're going from that angle. I used to throw 82 on a good day, and I was hyped if I could throw 82. You throw 95 miles an hour from that arm angle. Like, how do you, first of all, just how do you? Second of all, like, what? how do you train differently throwing sidearm to have that level of velocity compared to an overhand starter? Uh, maybe because I'm so big, I guess. <laughs> 
No, dude, I'm six three two. I couldn't even get it to eighty five. No, I'm you got five, something I'm different. Five eleven, one seventy five. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've kind of just gradually thrown harder every year, and um, you know, hoping to continue to do that. I don't know if there's anything I do differently to train compared to other people just because of an arm angle, but you know, I kind of just try to keep things natural and don't limit myself to just throwing like that all the time. I kind of warm up normal for me, which is feels like I'm over the top. It's still probably like three quarters, but, uh, and then once I'm loose, start throwing, start dropping down a little bit, but, um, <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why the velocity is there. I just kind of always my whole life tried to throw as hard as you can and kind of get my whole body into it, I guess. Well, it's working because you throw gas. Um, your your ground ball rate shot up this season, moving up from 41% in 2021 to one of the league's best at 56%. Was that something you were going to improve um, from year one to year two, or did it just kind of happen from overall working on your craft? Um, I'm not sure if it was something I like, really wanted to improve. I think maybe my I've been locating the, you know, the sinker down in the zone a little better. And um being able to to get ground balls in certain situations where that's kind of the goal. I think I've done a better job of that this year. And um, yeah, hopefully induce some of those, some of those double plays when guys are, you know, running all over the place. Uh, what fascinates me is, is that sinker as well, because there's so much horizontal movement. We talk about the slider and how much break it has, obviously, to your glove side. The sinker has that ridiculous arm side run as well. Uh, how do you balance the having a ton of movement and, and utilizing to that, that to your advantage while also being able to locate because you have two pitches going opposite directions, which is a nightmare for hitters, but it's also very difficult to spot that when you have that much run to your arm side. Uh, how have you tried to improve upon that? You talk about, that's probably a reason why the ground balls have, have continued to go up, but you know, what's a big focus for you when you're on the mound to you know make sure you're not losing that too much to your arm side or what are some of the things that may come up that that when you're going a little bit wrong uh are, are yeah. struggles for you yeah i mean that's been a huge focus of me uh this year and like making that adjustment to be in the zone more early in the year I had a few times where you know the mechanics got out of whack and got got away from me i've never really been like i don't think too much of a mechanics minded like pitcher but you know, this year kind of like had to get back to some of the things that, you know, I was doing last year and uh, had the help of, you know, a lot of coaches this year who've helped me like, you know, get back to where I need to be and, um, you know, trying to just get, get that strike one and, you know, get ahead of guys and then let the movement kind of like go from there when, you know, the hitters have their back against the wall and kind of are forced to swing more. So your teammate um, and my favorite player in Major League Baseball, his name is Cal Quantrill. His last loss in his home ballpark was when he wasn't on the Guardians. He It was September 9th, 2019 as a Padre. Since then, Cal Quantrill has 33 starts at home. It's the second longest streak between home losses in MLB history, 205 innings at home. That's the fourth longest streak between home losses in MLB history. And he has the most career starts, 31 at one stadium per, progressive field without a loss. Does he know this? Like, is he aware of what he's doing for you guys that he is basically undefeated at home that Cal Quantrill at progressive field is the greatest pitcher of all time? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's aware just because it's starting to be talked about like a good bit, you know, on, on TV or, you know, wherever, but, um, 
yeah, you know, he'll let, he'll let you know sometimes when he's doing good. That's for sure. But yeah, no, in all seriousness, like he's a, he's had a really good year for us and, you know, he's just such a consistent pitcher and he's been consistent dating. Well, back to as long as I've seen him, which is last year, he, when he moved back to the rotation, he was just, that's something I thought about was just how consistent he was. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to get you deep into the game pretty much every time. And, um, I guess that speaks to how you can get a stat like that. The team as a whole just has so many different guys that chip in, so many contributors. Talk about the deep bullpen, good rotation. The offense has continued to get better as the year's gone on, and the defense is great. It's just a well-rounded baseball team, but you guys are in great position for a playoff spot. Very much cruising there. Big win yesterday over the White Sox. But the, the interesting thing, too, is you look at payroll and – I mean, what fourth lowest in major league baseball yet you are up there with just about most of the playoff teams uh, in the wind department. What makes the Cleveland guardians able to keep up with some of the big spenders in major league baseball? And why do you think you guys can make a run in this postseason? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about payroll, that might be something like a fan, you know, like a lot of fans can look at and, you know, maybe look at it as a bad thing, but, you know, ultimately we're the, I think the youngest team in baseball. So, I mean, I think you're looking at, to me, it's just possibly like a lot of guys who are just at different points in their career. So, I mean, maybe guys who are first, second, third year aren't really on the big salary yet, but I think a lot of players who you'll look up here in five or six years and be like, Oh, they've had, you know, a really good career. So um, yeah, young, young team, like, a lot of fun and, you know, glad to be a part of it in any way I can. And, uh, you know, hoping to definitely finish strong here. The energy in the guardians clubhouse must be awesome. What do you guys do to stay loose? Um, play a lot of cards in the, uh, in the clubhouse. I think, I think I feel like there's a lot of cards being played, you know, music's on all the time. Just, I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's a fun clubhouse trying to keep it loose. Just take it one day at a time. And then, uh, you know, enjoy the wins. Like last night was, you know, a big win and, you know, interesting game, weird game, something that somehow I feel like we play a lot of and we come out on top a lot of, but definitely enjoy it when, uh, when we get one like that. And you, and you said to yourself, you guys have a very young ball club, but it's not a young and inexperienced ball club. It's a lot of guys who have been in the league maybe for, for a couple of years, but you guys are always in the race. Like who are some of the, so-called veterans that are kind of relied upon as leaders? I mean, definitely Jose Ramirez uh, on the position player side of things. You know, um, he's obviously had a great career and, you know, he's our he's our star player. And, uh, you know, he sets the tone and does things the right way all the time. And uh, I think kind of like, like I said, it sets the tone like for that lineup. And then, um, you know, Shane Bieber leading the way with the rotation, Brian Shaw, leading the way in the bullpen. I think he's shown a lot, like a really young bullpen, just kind of like the right way to do things and, you know, how to, how to, how to keep it loose, but also, you know, lock in at the, at the right times. What would you say the biggest strength or strengths are of the Cleveland guardians this year? Um, you know, I, I feel like our pitching has been, you know, pretty much rock steady all year, you know, from, from top down. And then um, I, I just think, I feel like that lineup's just, it's just a bunch of tough outs. And I think our strength is probably just not, not being out of a baseball game, whether it be the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, you know, down a few runs. It's not, it doesn't really feel like the game's ever over just because, you know, guys put together really good at bats. Um, the, whole, the whole lineup just 
not a lot of swing and miss in there. And then if you, I guess if you consistently just put the ball in play, you know, some good things will happen sometimes, but you know, they run the bases hard, a lot of speed, tough to strike out late in games and um, just guys who, who really battle. So I think that's probably our strength is just the ability to maybe come back or, you know, uh, keep a game close just because they're always fighting that lineup. So we have some fun rapid questions at the end, but I have one more before we get to those rapid questions. Is Emmanuel Class A from Earth? Because <laughs> how is that possible? Just how is that possible? How does he throw a 101-mile-an-hour cutter and be able to locate it wherever he wants? What's it been like sharing a bullpen with a guy like that who is just a freaking nature? Yeah, truly, truly a freaking nature. Like, he's uh, he's awesome, man. Uh, he's got yeah, – He's incredible. He'll just pick up the heaviest weighted ball and just start throwing it. But seems like ninety miles an hour. So he's the most flexible guy probably on the team. So it's 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 incredible to watch him and then uh, you know how he can turn it on and always just compete like like he does and be be a consistent reliever. He's just uh he's a beast and we're glad to have him. One last question for me before we get to rapid fire is it, maybe it's because of maybe there's someone that throws similarly to you and when you were growing up watching baseball or more recently that you've watched, is there any pitcher that you really drew inspiration from or, or like to watch maybe presently playing who formerly pitched or whatever it may be that you like to watch and kind of take some things from? Uh, yeah. Like when I mentioned, I was, you know, learning how to throw a sidearm, like back in high school, I think I would just kind of like when the game was on or either go on YouTube and like try to look up some guys, you know, big league players, I would look up, uh, I think I remember looking up Joe Smith and Steve Ciszek. And Steve Ciszek, yeah. Yeah, Legend. having a chance to pitch against both of them, like, at the same time in the same game last year, like, <laughs> as a rookie, was just a um, really cool experience. And then to be able to, you know, talk to talk to those guys is, is pretty cool. So we have some rapid-fire questions, and Arm and I will go back and forth. You don't have to get into it a ton unless you want to because baseball. <laughs> talking about baseball is fun, but here's the first one. Who's been your toughest at-bat in Major League Baseball so far? Rise pretty tough at-bat with the Twins. Mm. Anybody else maybe in the National League? Um, Goldschmidt was tough last year. I got one for you now. Who, who is the best pitcher you've had the opportunity to see from another team, or maybe most impressive that you may not have realized until you saw him? Um, Verlander was pretty much as good as it gets uh, earlier this year. Who is the greatest reliever of all time in your mind? Rivera. Easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That besides Mariano Rivera, maybe because I feel like after that it can kind of get um it's kind of up to your opinion. So Mariano clear number one, who's number two? Uh, I know I know Kimbrell's definitely put up a heck of a career when you look at you know what he's done for a long time. I like that. Who are the most underrated players on the Guardians? I think Oscar Gonzalez. Jack will love that. And yeah. maybe uh, De Los Santos in the bullpen. Great answers. Oscar Gonzalez hits the piss out of the ball every <laughs> single time. Every single time. Like we were, we right. were talking to Justin Steele, um, and he was talking about Nico Horner, how like – 
um, just the the like the exit velocities off Nico Horner's bat. But with all due respect, like Oscar Gonzalez, the exit velocity is coming off this guy. Like no matter what, I've seen so many lineouts to the center field that ended up being out. So in the box score, he's maybe zero for one, but he's hitting just one hundred and eight mile out rockets. Has that been just since the beginning? Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember playing with him throughout the minor league some and just being very impressed with how easily he can just knock the ball out of the ballpark. And um, definitely since the beginning of his major league career, I don't I don't know what, exactly what the exit velocities were like. Uh, <clears throat> but that first the first weekend in uh, Detroit that he played, I think he had at least five balls hit over 100. And it was just like every time he puts the bat on the ball, it's uh, it's hit hard, especially. Uh, even some pitches who are that are out of the zone, he still he still barrels it. So it's impressive. He's a good player. The laser show. Last one yeah. for me. Um, what's something about the Cleveland Guardians that nobody is talking about? Something that's just an underrated aspect of your guys's team that maybe you wish the public knew more about. Uh, let's go with the the base running. Nobody really talks about base running ever, but uh, you know I think we do a good job of that and you know, kind of put the pressure on teams. And sometimes that's when, you know, some of the funky stuff happens. Teams make uh, teams make errors that can lead to runs. I love that. What's your big focus moving forward for the rest of this year and beyond that for the rest of your career, building off of now another great season? For this year, it's just, you know, kind of do whatever, uh, do whatever I can to, to help this team uh, embrace you know, whatever situation I'm put in a uh, couple nights in a row here, been put in a situation where hopefully we can get, you know, guys out of jams. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's going to go better than others, but just to kind of be consistent, is kind of always been my mindset and hopefully, you know, be consistent for, uh, for this year and the next, and, you know, kind of learn from whatever experiences uh, come my way and just try to, uh, you know, keep in mind, you know, what happened when I was doing well and what happened when what went wrong and, just be the best I can be. I got one last one, Peter. You got anything else? I think I'm good, my man. I mean, I could keep talking to him for yeah, hours, absolutely. but you know, absolutely. <laughs> could be weary of his time. Yeah, he's, he's got places to be. I think if maybe a baseball game later. I'm not sure, but he's, um, like in, a, he's in a pennant race and all that. Yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. I think maybe so. a big game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, might, it might be pretty important. But uh, more importantly, you have to ask you about high leverage because that's things people love to talk about. But now, realistically, I've. I've always been fascinated by the psychology of baseball. And that's the one part where it can get interesting between the data and just the human aspect of it. And then that's a tired conversation in ways, but we don't get to hear too much from the relievers that are actually living it and actually playing in those situations. Um, how different is it in high leverage situations? Do you feel like when you trust yourself, it's, pretty much the same thing and the outcomes are the outcomes. Sometimes you get beat or you know, did you feel like maybe in the early parts of your career that high leverage maybe made you feel a little bit different in certain spots? And is, is that a big part of becoming a good reliever or maybe overstated or understated? No, it's, it's definitely a big part of it. Um, you know, I, th I think, uh, you know, I've had experience being a reliever from, from college and knowing like, you know, how to come in certain situations and kind of ha how to handle it. So I think like, uh, I feel, I feel like I've done like a decent job throughout the you know last two years, but I think, yeah, step one, just kind of analyzing the situation and figuring out, you know, what you need to do. If there's an empty bag here, if you need to, 
you know, try to go for a strikeout, go for a ground ball. So I think that's, that's kind of like the main thing. It's just kind of like slowing it down and figuring out like, you know, what the, what the desired outcome is here and, you know, like what needs to be done. But yeah, it's definitely can be tough at times, but, you know, it can be very rewarding if you can, you know, help, you know, get the guy out of a, a jam who, who just pitched before you because, you know, ultimately that's what you want the next guy to do behind you. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big part of the game, but something I embrace and, you know, look to uh, excel at. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. This is awesome. And good luck in the pennant race, dude. The Guardians are awesome and they're fun to watch. And I can't wait to see how the rest of the season unfolds. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for uh, for having me. And uh, y'all have a go. Best of luck the rest of the year, man. Really appreciate it. It seems like every major league baseball player we bring on the podcast is just a chill dude. It's just a really laid back, awesome guy. And and I think yeah, th- this was no exception. Nick Sandlin is just fits the fits the bill. So you guys all know, every listener of the Just Baseball Show knows that I watch the Guardians probably as much as my favorite team, the New York Yankees, because I'm constantly betting on them. And I just love the energy over there with the Guardians. I love that point that he made about how they do have one of the lowest payrolls, but it's a lot of guys that are super, super young on their roster, right? They're going to get paid. Like Mm -hmm. you look at a guy like Ahmed Rosario, who, first off, if you put Ahmed Rosario against AL Central, He's the greatest shortstop of all time. And then you have Stephen Kwan, who's really young. We talked about how Oscar Gonzalez is a laser show for them. Andres Andres Jimenez. Jimenez. He's going to get paid. He's He's going to get get paid. paid. And then Chris McKenzie, young pitcher. Shane Bieber still hasn't gotten that big old extension yet. Kyle Quantrill, the greatest pitcher of all time. He's going to get $300. He's going to get $500 million. He's going to make more than DeGrom because he deserves more than DeGrom. And just a cool stat about Kyle Quantrill. You know, average exit velocity. He beats Jacob DeGrom in it. So... You know, you weigh all the different stats. Average exit velocity seems to be the greatest stat because Cal Quantrill is better than DeGrom in it. DeGrom could never. DeGrom could never. It's fair. That's fair. And (laughs) the other thing about it is you also have some of these savvy deals, right? They have Jose Ramirez on an affordable deal. They have Emmanuel Class A, one of the game's best closers, on a pre-arb affordable deal. Uh, So, I mean, that that helps them a lot too. I am very interested to see how they maneuver, how they plan to maneuver. We've talked about how... The Guardians have, you know, secured some investment, have a little bit more spending money. Uh, Hopefully they'll reinvest that into the team and keeping that core together. Because as Nick said, I mean, this is a really good core, uh, a very well-rounded team with young guys that continue to come up, make an impact that you want to see them hold on to. So happy they're holding on to Jose Ramirez. Happy they're holding on to Class A. I hope they continue that trend with some of their other guys, Bieber as well, and Jimenez as well. Uh, But it's pretty wild when you get to talk to a guy that's, you know, in the thick of a playoff race and we're getting ready to to brace for the postseason. And even he doesn't really know what to expect. That that was the interesting thing as well. I haven't been to the postseason. I have no idea. You know, and, and that's that's a really interesting aspect of it all is there's so many guys that as we get into this postseason, this is their first taste of MLB playoffs. And I'm just I'm excited to see this Guardians team. I'm excited to see Nick perform out there. And I'm excited to just see all of these players get their first opportunity. We talked about it last episode, Peter, all of the rookies that could make an impact at the, at the big league level in this playoff race and through the postseason. How about just some of these younger guys that it's their first taste of the playoffs. That's going to be really fun to watch. Including the guardians are probably going to win the division because the white Sox are just, 
They're finally dead. Falling off. I mean, yeah, they look finally dead. That was actually the final nail in the coffin. That game. Like like Aaron Savali versus Dylan Cease and the White Sox don't come out with a win. That's the nail. And losing extras and end up losing by a good amount. It just, it was ugly. It was depressing. You could just feel the the agony in that stadium from the White Sox fans. I agree. You don't win the Cease-Savali start in a must-win game. That seems like that's the final nail in the coffin for the Chicago White Sox. Sorry, Jack. Sorry, Jack. Uh, not sorry, Jack. Jack, he, he deserves he, it. He deserves the pain. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. He got the World Series in 05. Yeah, he, and Mark Burley pitched, and he watched him. That's fine. That's enough yeah, for Jack. That's enough. Last thing here on the Just Baseball show, Aaron Judge is making history yeah. on. Uh, first of all, the MVP debate is over. I don't want to hear anything else. I have I Shohei Otani behind me. He's one of my favorite players I've ever seen. I've called him the greatest player in baseball. It's over. I know I know you're going to say, but Otani, like, you know, he's doing both. This is how I think of it at this point. Aaron Judge is, if you want to decipher, Aaron Judge is 230 home run hitters. Yeah. Like now you have two of them. So there's, this is from Codify again, the only players that hit 60 home runs in an MLB season. Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and now Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge leads Major League Baseball in batting average. He leads Major League, or he leads the American League in batting average at 316. He has 60 home runs and he has 129 RBIs. Triple crown. If you win the triple crown, even if he doesn't anymore, because now it's not, are you beating Roger Maris? It's, are you beating Sammy Sosa at 66 home runs? Aaron Judge is having one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen in MLB history at this point. Yep. That's where we're at. If you still think that Shohei Otani should get the MVP award, then no matter what anyone else in the history of baseball does when Shohei Otani is in the league, that he Shohei Otani is the MVP. Just give it to him. Then it's just done. Yeah. And, and while I, I always thought that was kind of a dumb debate, at this point, that debate stands or that point stands because you have to then now do something in another player in the American league. What do you have to hit 70 home runs, hit 340, yeah. and have 180 RBIs? Like, then what? I mean, that's why I keep saying Otani to the just, end of time, just make it the Shohei Otani award at that point, you know. And 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 I, the the pick, the, the part that frustrates me about this whole conversation is that it becomes like a almost a, a let's let's almost water down what the other guy's doing. Not saying that's what you did. I'm saying that's what it's become in, in the, the larger conversation of like, oh yeah, well, how good has Judge's defense really been in center field? Like, well, what the fuck are we talking about? And also on the Otani side, oh, well, his team stinks. If he was that valuable, they'd be better. No, he's basically on a triple A team plus Mike Trout, who, who hasn't been there for most of the year, or at least has missed a lot of time this year. Uh, you, you can't just single-handedly Take it. It's not basketball, right? LeBron, you can't carry, you know, Mo Williams and Anderson Varejao and, and Drew Gooden to, to the finals in baseball. You just can't do that. So it, it's it's just both ways. Enjoy what has been a historic season from both guys. Shohei Otani has taken his MVP season, which was revolutionary in every way, and has done better. Like he has built upon that and, and has had a better season than his MVP year. That is incredible. Let's enjoy it. Let's savor it. Aaron Judge has had the most insane season we've ever seen, basically, given the circumstances contract here, helping a team that has had a roller coaster of a season continue to be one of the best teams in baseball through that all. I mean, imagine how bad rock bottom would have felt when you don't have Aaron Judge keeping you afloat during this whole thing. Like, let's just enjoy what these guys are doing. The MVP debate will settle itself and it's going to be Aaron Judge. It's going to be the writers are going to side with Aaron Judge. It's not an indictment on Otani. Let's just enjoy history. Let's enjoy what these guys are doing and just acknowledge that baseball is in a phenomenal place with these two guys leading the way. I 
couldn't have ordered it better. Talk about the home run races and how important. I mean, how how much have we heard that? Like it saved baseball. The the PED guys chasing the home runs, chasing the record, saved baseball. Uh, I always thought that was a bit hyperbolic. It was definitely instrumental in the recovery from you know the strike. But how about this Aaron Judge chase, this Albert Pujols chase, this Shohei Otani season, and what that's done for baseball this year? I mean, just just so huge. I want to just thank them all for what they've done this year. I saw Adam Sandler literally thanked Aaron Judge on Twitter, which is hilarious. Just like I've, I've been enjoying watching you. Like, thank you. Um, and that's literally what I wanted to say, too. Like, thank you for this. This has been a pleasure to cover. And he's not done yet. Neither of them are done yet. And it's going to be a fun finish to the season here. He phases off against Rancy Contreras tonight, and he may go for 61 for the record. With that, thank you, everybody.